I had the pleasure of walking my oldest daughter, who's about to be going into first grade, into a, a moment for her life. And, and it's a moment that I think is, as you get older, you realize the anxiety associated with this moment. But she's about to start a new school year. And instead of electronically sending communications and finding out what teacher you're going to have or what classroom you're in and all of your friends who will be in there or won't be in there, uh, they're still posting those things on a glass door and saying, show up to on-site, walk up to the door, and then find out what your year's going to be like. Find out who's going to be in your class. And you walk up and you find out which of your friends are there, which of them aren't there, and you, you face a bunch of names that you don't know. And you might not realize in first grade as fully as you start to realize in the middle school and the high school of all this anxiety around, do I belong? Am I going to have friends here? And this anxiety of, do I fit in? Am I going to have friends? It it just keeps growing in life. You you go off to college maybe, or maybe you go into the workforce, or, or maybe you move to a new city and you're trying to build friends and you're always wondering, Do people accept me as I am? Do I need to put on another face? Will that get me friends? Or can I just be me? What do I have to do to fit in and belong? And you might be the most introverted person, and you need to sit by yourself. You need to get your own energy going. But you still want to know there's a place that I can go to where I belong, and I'm going to be welcomed and accepted as I am. And so we all face this continually, that you might have relationships you've had for a long time, and every once in a while you just wonder, is this real? If they really knew me fully, would I belong? And so we're going to read a story today where Paul is faced with this ultimate kind of question. Where do I stand? Do I belong? And we, we've been with Paul last week. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and he heard a lot of bad things were going to happen to him. And he had to leave behind a lot of true friends who cared for him deeply and who wept when he left. And he's making his way to where he thinks God is inviting him to go. But what is waiting for him? And so I'm going to turn our uh, text over to Acts chapter 21. We're going to read verse 17 to 26 and stop there. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to visit James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they praised God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands of believers there are among the Jews, and they are all zealous for the law. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews living among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, and that you tell them not to circumcise their children or observe the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. So do what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Join these men, go through the rite of purification with them, and pay for the shaving of their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself observe and guard the law. But as for the Gentiles who become believers, we've sent that letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. And then Paul took them in, And the next day, having purified himself, he entered the temple with them, 
making public the completion of the days of purification when the sacrifice would be made for each. We're going to pause in our story there. So what's going on here? Paul has made his way to Jerusalem. He showed up to the bigwigs of the church there in Jerusalem. If you can think about it, like, okay, there's this prominence, I'm sure, associated with Jesus was crucified there. He was, res- he was risen there. It's Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, you've got these certain figures who've got a lot of power and prominence, who are respected. And so James is at the forefront of that. And earlier in Acts, James was kind of the one who made his decision about the Gentiles and, and whether they were accepted or not. And he kind of gave the church in Jerusalem's response. And so Paul's been doing all this missionary work. He's been going on these trips and he's coming back to James and the church in Jerusalem and he's sharing with them all of what God has done. And there's a little bit of fear because you're like, well, we were on good terms the last time we met, but what are they going to think about my ministry? You know, I've made a lot of interesting decisions and what my churches look like might not look exactly like the church in Jerusalem, but but surely you see that God is there, and, and maybe you're going to be reaffirming our relationship. And so he tells them about all that God has done, and you don't get language here other than when they heard it, they praised God. So this feels good. You're like, okay, I think this is going well. I told them about what my life's work has been. I've told them what God's been up to in my life, and they said, praise God. They said whatever righteous words you want to hear. Ah, Amen. Oh, good word, brother. I'm so glad for you, brother. They gave you whatever religiosity words that you needed to hear, and then they took a turn. Praise God, except, you know what? There's a lot of rumors about you, Paul. You know, you see all these people here? They're really devoted to God. They're really devoted to the law. And they've heard a lot of rumors about you. And that's got to be an awkward situation because you might feel that pressure in life you might feel what other people might be thinking or saying about you and you show up somewhere and you tell them you lay out here's what my heart's been up to here's what i've been doing praise god but you know what other people see when they see you i would have just loved to have just stayed in that praise god for a little bit longer praise god you know but when we look at our friends over here, see them, they, they really care about the law. And what they've heard about you is that, yeah, you've been going to talk and preach to Gentiles, but what you've also been telling Jews around the world is leave Moses behind. Don't get circumcised anymore. Don't follow Jewish customs. And so we're all kind of more familiar with the fact that Paul is not requiring Gentile Christians to take on the full Jewish lifestyle and customs, particularly circumcision. But the rumor is, is it's not just that he's being free with the Gentiles, but he's telling the Jewish Christians, you should stop doing this. Don't do it anymore. And so this rumor has spread among all the people. And they say in verse 22, what then is to be done? There's a lot of people who fall into this trap. You know, there's a lot of rumors about you. What should you do about those rumors? Wouldn't James and the church have been much better friends, much better brothers and si- brothers or sisters in Christ, 
when they heard those rumors to say something to the people telling them these rumors. When you hear something bad about Paul and say, hey, let me stop you right there. Let me tell you who Paul is and be a defender of Paul. But for so many of us, when the rumor and the, and the character assassination starts, we just nod our heads and say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we just listen. And we became the sounding board for someone's frustrations, complaints, problems. And now since I've sat with that information, now I'm thinking, well, what should I do now about it? And instead of me fixing it, of, I shouldn't have listened to that. I should have stopped you when you started saying this. I should have been proactive in making sure that, that people weren't bad-mouthing you. Now I'm going to the person who's being bad-mouthed and say, hey, what should you do about the fact that everybody's bad-mouthing you? And that's not a bearer of good news. Hey, Paul, I'm glad God has been using you. I'm glad God is, is bursting forth all these Gentile believers, that churches are growing, that, that you've been faithful. But what are you going to do about those people bad-mouthing you? And so, as you could imagine, they have some ideas. I know how you can alleviate all of these concerns. Let me give you the checklist. You know, they were bad-mouthing about this and that. So you know, here's how we're going to make this be fixed. What's the advice? They are going to hear that you've come. So here's what you should do. We've got four men who are about to go under a vow. Uh, most of the people think this is a Nazarite vow about um, really intentionally turning yourself to God. You wouldn't cut your hair for a month. You wouldn't drink for a month. You would be all in prayer, and you would keep going to the temple. And at the end of that time, you'd make a big offering to God. You'd also have all of your hair cut off that had been growing that season, and it would be burned up to God. And you'd say, God, I, I hope that you have heard my prayers. I hope I'm cleansed now. I hope I'm in right relationship with you. So you got, we've got four guys already in this process, and I've got a good idea. Why don't you be their sponsor? Because then people will see you love the law because you're going to go walk with them through it. And so you can't just pay for their vow process, but you should walk with them through it. That'll really show everybody against these rumors. And so Paul goes. And he walks with those people through that season of purification. Not because Paul did anything wrong, but because a bunch of people thought Paul had done something wrong. He was doing it for somebody else. And I think about how many of us go through this in life, that there's people who have angst against you, that they've belittled you, they've thought poorly of you, and you felt like, what do I do to fix this? Maybe I can fix that, that parent who will never show me the love that I need. Maybe I can do one more thing for the child who, who, who thinks that I've been an awful parent. Maybe I can figure out how to fix this coworker's relationship. I, I'm going to do awesome on this job. Whatever it is, we, we feel like, how do I fix someone else's perspective about me? No matter if I've done anything wrong or not. And it's one thing for you to choose to go through that and you to try to run that game of like, I'm going to try my best. And I'm going to hope that this is what changes them. 
But it's a whole other thing for someone else to lay that burden on you. You know, here's my advice to you. You should try one more thing. Go the extra mile with them, and maybe that might change their mind tomorrow. And so we think, maybe I'll fit in if I just do enough. If I can check enough religious boxes, if I can check enough being the right person, doing the right thing. And so many people put all sorts of weird boxes for us to check. Well, you know, if you did your hair a little different, you dressed a little bit better, maybe if you made a little bit more money, maybe you switched jobs, maybe, you know, what's, what is it that you need to do so you've checked the boxes and now you look right in somebody else's eyes? Maybe that'll change them. And I think for us, it's hard to fully grasp the stakes in this game. Because for us, we're looking from the Christian vantage point of looking back and knowing that Christians have not taught that you had to be circumcised to be a Christian. We have not taught you had to follow all of the Torah. So we lose a little bit of the weightiness of what's at stake here. And I think it can be helpful to think about maybe in our own time of like, what would it be to have this situation happen? So you could imagine, maybe Paul is doing a ministry in the midst of, like, let's say there was a, a bunch of, of uh, drinking challenges. There's a bunch of DUIs happening, a bunch of DWIs happening around the, the world. And, and you're like, okay, I'm going to minister. I'm going to be an Alcoholics Anonymous uh, ministry. And I'm going to be helping people going through this challenge. But then people hear about you. You know what? I think he's encouraging drinking now. So why is it because I'm ministering into this environment that you think that I, I'm actually contributing to the problem now? Or in the midst of, of the, you know, especially a few decades back, when the church was in too many places, was being harsh towards people who had to leave relationships that were abusive, and saying, oh, well, I don't know, maybe, like, uh, maybe we can't give you communion because you've been divorced. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Like, how are you going to be so harsh to somebody who's in the midst of pain? And he's so, you know, I'm going to go minister specifically to people who've gone through that, that pain. Oh, well, now you're encouraging divorce. Well, I'm encouraging people to live healthily. I'm encouraging them to find refuge in God. I'm encouraging them to know that they're not alone. Maybe you're encouraging people. Maybe you've... Uh, had a family member, had a friend who didn't fit society's boxes of what it looks like sexually, gender, all sorts of things. And you love that person. You minister to them. You care for them. You want them to know, I don't know what other people are saying to you, but I want you to know that God loves you no matter what you're hearing. No matter what issue you want to press it to, Press it as far as it goes, because that's what's happening here in this story. Because Paul it has the whole law resting in this dilemma. People are saying, you're throwing out all of God's instruction. You know how we're supposed to live? You know how all of our holiness codes of who's, how you live rightly? Am I supposed to throw all that away? What are you doing, Paul? You're throwing away our whole tradition. Didn't God speak to Moses? What is it to be faithful to God? God? Didn't God tell us how to be faithful? And Paul is going around the world saying, Christ's love for you is more important than anything else. 
So for the Gentiles, you don't have to go through all of these steps for God's love to be fully present with you. But that's dangerous to people. I like feeling like my boxes are real boxes that are important boxes. Paul, I need you to check more of the boxes for me. And so, in the story, Paul doesn't protest out loud in the passage that we have. Maybe he did. Maybe internally he's protesting. But Paul hears them saying, we need you to go to the temple. We need you to make the offering. We need you to not cut your hair. You need to pay for these people's offerings. You might think, well, you know, in church worlds, we talk about Jesus as like the last sacrifice. Of like, why are you going and making any more sacrifices in the temple? Isn't this strange? Why are you doing this still? Paul's like, I'll, I'll play the game. I'll do what you've asked. You know, you've put all of these check boxes in front of me. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to do as you ask. And so he goes, and he does all those things. He's going through this process. And the text says that when the seven days were almost completed, there were certain Jews from Asia who had seen him in the temple, and they stirred up the whole crowd. They seized him shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. More than that, he has actually brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. I'll pause there. So Paul's trying to do everything that people want him to do. Show that you care about the law and the teachings. He's showing up to the temple, but it doesn't change anything about everybody else's perceptions. Because they see Paul there and they go, you know, I saw him with that Gentile. I bet the group that he's going around with has a bunch of Gentiles, and he's taking them into the middle of the temple where they're not allowed to go. Isn't Paul awful? So the very thing he's trying to do to show them, I care about trying to figure out how to reconcile us, is the thing that they use to point out at him, look at how awful you are. This attempt is not going well. And so, when they point him out, it says then that the whole city was aroused and they rushed together and they seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. There's a lot of people who want to shut the temple's doors on people. That when you feel challenged, when you feel a conflict, when you feel like you've got a division of, I know I'm on the right side of this, God's on my side, and I'm going to shut the temple doors and keep you on the outside. And so these people are saying, Paul, I see who you are. You're a defiler. You're awful. The doors are shut on you. Not just our doors, but God's doors of the temple are shut. And so while they were trying to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Immediately he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul for a moment. Then the tribune came, arrested him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains and inquired who he, uh, who he is and what he had done. So it wasn't enough just to push Paul out of the temple. They're beating him. It's a mob. They're going to kill Paul. Finally, the, the Roman authorities show up, and people are like, oh, I'm not doing anything. And they let the authorities take Paul. And then the authorities want to know, who are you and what is going on? And that's been the central question the whole time. <laughs> 
Paul's been trying to tell people who he is and what he's done. And initially, James and his other friends said, oh, praise God. But, and so Paul has found an inhospitable environment. Both the people who should have been welcoming and those who already had made up their minds that he wasn't worthy. And so James and his friends didn't realize that what they were doing by trying to figure out how to reconcile you and that other person was the very thing that was going to cause more problems, more drama, more anger, more pain. And so today, I hope that if you find yourself in the place of trying to feel like, where do I belong? Just, do I fit in? That you might be able to rest in the fact that people can close the doors on you, but that they actually can't close God's doors on you. Those temple doors might feel strong and big and powerful, but God is beyond that. So God, like that prodigal son's father, comes running out with arms wide open, even when other people are shutting those doors. And so if you felt like the outcast, you felt like you weren't welcome, you felt like you didn't belong, you felt like no matter what you tried to do to feel like you could belong, know that God always wants to welcome you and love you. If you've also been on that journey, I want you to be encouraged that you don't have to check a bunch of boxes for God to be that way. You don't have to figure out what's the, the next 20 things that if I do this, then God will welcome me. But just rest in God's embrace. I want to encourage you that there are people out there who also will welcome you. You might not be around them right now. You might have coworkers, you might have family, you might have friends who have given you the cold shoulder. But that doesn't mean that there's nobody out there who will recognize that, yes, God's at work in your life. You belong. For those of us who find ourselves as the gatekeepers, the ones who can close doors, the ones who have a little bit of power, a little bit of voice, please don't be James. Don't put another burden on somebody who already feels like they aren't fitting in. Don't ask them to make another 20 steps. Uh, I, I think maybe we can change public opinion if you'll just do a few more things. Maybe it's just those people's eyes that have a problem. Maybe it's their ears. Maybe it's on them to stop seeing Paul that way. Maybe it's on them not to see you that way anymore. Because it shouldn't be up to the person who hasn't done anything wrong to fix everybody else's perceptions of them. Why do we play that game? Maybe if that person is bitter towards them, maybe if we do these few things, maybe they'll, be, they'll change. Maybe we should ask them to change. The people who see things that way. Hey, do you know who Paul is? Can I tell you about who Paul is? I think you would actually love Paul if you just get to know Paul. Stop being suspicious of Paul. Just trust for a minute. Here's who Paul is. He's faithful. I know, like, he was fully devoted towards hurting the church. 
And now he's fully broken about that fact and living out 100% for God, trying to, to help others see what he's now seeing. I think if you got to know him, you would love this guy. What if that was the kind of James we had? What if, what if we were that? When you hear that someone's upset with somebody because, well, yeah, I think that maybe they've got bad motivations. Maybe I think that they're, they're doing something for the wrong reasons. Instead of just being the, the sitting there and listening and going about our way, maybe we stand up for people. And maybe we need to think in our lives how we've had wrong vision for others in our lives. Who in our life that we've cast as the villain do we need to realize maybe that's not exactly who they are? Maybe there's somebody I need to see with a new, fresh set of eyes. Who do I need to welcome? Who have I shut the doors on that I needed to welcome into this place? And so I appreciate that this text is not easy because our lives are not easy. And so no matter what route you take today, whether you want to be Paul saying, you know what, I'm not going to try to do the 20 things you want me to do just to see if you might slightly change your opinion of me. I hope that you might find some welcoming embrace with God. And I hope you might find some conflict resolution. But it might not be here now. Maybe it's towards the future. And I hope if you choose to be like Paul and go through the steps, that maybe, just maybe, you'll hit the one time where it works. Because so often, it doesn't change anything. But maybe that will be the time. But most importantly... I hope that we might all commit to being a people who don't shut doors on people, but open them. Find ways to welcome more in, to love more, to be more patient, to be more trusting, to be more hopeful, and to not believe all the rumors. And so, what do people say about you? Some of us might love to hear it. Maybe you'd get a lot of praise. Some of us might be scared to hear what the rumors are. But no matter what, know that what God says about you is that you are loved. And that is enough. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask that each of us here, each of us worshiping today, might feel your love today. That we might feel your welcome embrace. All who feel as outcasts might feel like we are a part of your church, your body. Lord, I ask that you might give us that sense of security so that we might be able to take brave steps out to help welcome the next person. That we might extend our love, our, our life, our hope, to the neighbor. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for each situation where we've closed, we've tried to close your doors, where we've tried to keep someone on the outside, either through inaction or action. Lord, we ask that our speech might be 
edifying, that we might build people up rather than tearing people down. Lord, let the rumors from our mouths be about hope and love and possibility and not destruction and hopelessness. Lord, turn our hearts to you. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to love our neighbors and our enemies. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.